Our first reading this morning comes from the third chapter of John's Gospel, the story of the Pharisee Nicodemus and his late-night conversation with Jesus. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born? Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. The word of the Lord. second reading this morning comes to us from the end of the Gospel of Luke, the penultimate chapter, chapter 23. Um, normally a text we read in the season of Lent. Uh, I find, though, that when we pull texts out of the time and place where we expect them, we tend to read them more openly and with fewer assumptions about what they say. So listen now for what the Spirit is saying to you and to the church. Then they all shouted out together, Away with this fellow! Release Barabbas for us! Barabbas was a man who had been put in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! The third time, Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has this man done? I have found in him no ground for the sentence of death. I will therefore have him flogged and then release him. But they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that Jesus should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging there kept deriding him as well and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have have been condemned justly because we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? May the meditations of our hearts together upon this, your word to us today, be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I grew up in the Baptist free church tradition where there was a lot of talk about heaven and hell, but I grew from that experience primarily to think and believe in my heart that being a Christian is really about this life, how I live here on this earth, a relationship with God, whatever and whoever God is, that extends, I believe, beyond the boundary of death, yes, into eternity, beyond the limitations of biological existence. Again, when I was younger, there was so much emphasis on what's going to happen when you die. Are you going to get in? Are you good enough? Are you, do you believe enough? Enough already. I wasn't good enough, and I often didn't believe enough. How I live today. You know, there are ethical and even political implications in this famous scene in Luke, which I just read, which we normally read in the days before Easter. Implications about how to live in this life. A convicted and sentenced criminal is shown here at the very end a little kindness, right? Or maybe a lot more than a little. He's not shown a reminder of what he did. Not, he's not shown an intensification of his punishment, which is what we do in this society. Um, all of us who crave mercy ourselves so often refuse to show mercy to others. And we tell ourselves that's about justice and about balancing the scales and about keeping our streets safe and our children safe when too often I've come to conclude, myself anyway, that it's really about us feeling superior and making ourselves feel better. Uh, I'm not so great, but I haven't done what that guy has done. Um, and at least I'm not like that thief or whatever fill in the crime, you know. And so we double down on punishment of others rather than on ourselves to make that embezzler, that molester, that murderer, that thief pay for being a lot more like us than we care to admit. For not being what we secretly know we can never be, which is perfect, which is completely virtuous, which is the kind of person who can earn God's love and God's grace. The thief says in this text, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. A conversation between two people a few minutes before their respective deaths. So how does the thief on the cross fit into your theology? I'm sure you've thought about it a lot. Or maybe not. Let's consider this thief. No baptism, no communion, no confirmation, no speaking in tongues, no mission trips, no volunteering at the local food program, no pledging, 
no pledging, no fancy church clothing. He couldn't even bend his knees to pray in this moment. He doesn't and never did do any of the thing, the usual religious-y things. He didn't say the Lord's Prayer using debts or debtors or, what's the other one? Uh, trespasses. Um, and of course, he was a thief. He robbed people of their possessions. Jesus didn't take away his pain, heal his body, or in this text, turn the tables on his accusers. And still, it's this guy, this criminal, this thief, this convicted robber who walked into paradise, whatever that is, wherever that is, all we know is it's good and God is there. He enters paradise at the exact same moment as Jesus does, just by believing. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have abundant and everlasting life. There is no more famous passage in the Bible, I think, at least for Christians. But let's recall that those famous words, which are on signs and memorized by, they used to be, by countless Sunday school students, which are stitched and framed over countless kitchen tables, were words whispered as an answer to a whispered question late at night by a visitor who did not want to be heard by anyone and needed the darkness because he, Nicodemus, couldn't afford to be seen talking to Jesus. Psst. Hey, Rabbi. Which is another word for teacher. Psst. Hey, Rabbi. How can anyone actually start over? I mean, really start over. How can anyone be born again if they've already been born? Well, Nicodemus, Jesus whispers back, because God so loves the world and because God sent God's only son, whoever or whosoever trusts in him who trusts in that love, can start over, can really live. Whoever trusts, that's the better word than believe. Whoever trusts, and that's good. It's good for the thief anyway, because that's all he's got to offer. All he can, off all he can offer in this moment is to trust and believe that Jesus is who Jesus says he is. No spin from brilliant biblical scholars or theologians, no ego or arrogance, no confessional, no blessing, no wallowing in remorse or regret, no repentance even. Nope. And if you're not all, if you're not really about the traditional sort of worship like we do here with robes and stuff, no shiny lights and big budget worship productions, no preacher in a black robe or in skinny jeans and flip-flops, no crafty words kind of blurred together with self-help hacks, no fog machine, no coffee in the lobby, though that is a good idea, no donuts or even Oreos at coffee hour, none of that, just a naked man dying on a cross in a slow excruciating form of execution 
who can't even fold his hands to pray. That's all he is. When I started paying attention to faith in the Bible, I, one of my beloved mentors, uh, my pastor, taught me something that, that I never forgot. Uh, you use scripture to interpret scripture. If there's a difficult passage, something that sort of challenges you or makes you angry or you have a difficult time living with, read other scripture and, and let, let what it says to you inform how you're interpreting this other piece. For example, you can find, as many of you have heard me say, you can find very clearly in the Bible that women should keep their mouths closed and heads covered while in church. It's there. Ladies. But in so many other places, including at the foot of the cross on Easter Sunday morning, women are the first preachers of the gospel, right? So you have to balance these out and find where the Spirit leads you. Let Scripture interpret Scripture, and then see where it goes. Test the spirits and see where they, if they are from God. Likewise, Scripture can have a conversation with other Scripture, which I think is happening here today. Shine its light on, other, on the words elsewhere in the Gospel in this case. We have two stories, both very well known. You have the thief on the cross, or the two thieves, the one who acts like the rest of us, everybody else, angry with Jesus, deriding him, mocking him because he can't save himself, let alone them. And the other one who says, Jesus, remember me when you come into paradise. And then you have in the Gospel of John, for God so loved the world, etc., etc., that whosoever trusts in him shall not perish but have ever, everlasting life. Guess who the whosoever is? It's the thief. That's the whosoever, the whoever in John 3.16, the one who will have abundant and eternal life. To get into paradise, to be in that mutual relationship with God, which starts in this life and extends eternally, it takes being no more and no less than a thief. I don't want to be a thief, Pastor Greg. I don't want to be considered a thief. I don't want to be thought of as a criminal. Thieves are bad people. I'm a good people. Thieves are dishonest. I'm mostly honest. Worst of all, if I'm honest with myself, I don't want to be considered a thief because... Thieves get caught, right? And that's bad. They have allowed the world to see the worst of themselves, to look behind the curtain. None of us wants that. None of us. To be a thief, to be known as not only imperfect, but at times selfish to the point of violating other people's rights, to be known as something other than perfect, to be known as a person who makes mistakes, a person ultimately to have failed in life. Thieves get caught. Thieves, something wrong with them. Criminals, they must be crazy to do that. I would never do that. Really? 
Like the guy who walked into a little corner store in England I read about with a shotgun and demanded all the cash in the cash drawer, and the cashier put the cash in the bag, and as he did it, the robber saw behind the cashier a bottle of scotch, and he wanted, uh, he wanted it, so he told the cashier to throw the scotch in the bag with the cash, but the cashier refused and said, I don't think you're 21. <laughs> and the robber said, oh, yes, I am, but the clerk refused to give it to him because he didn't believe him. At this point, the robber took out his driver's license and gave it to the clerk. The clerk looked it over and agreed, okay, yeah, you're 21, and he put the scotch in the bag. The robber grabbed the bag, ran out the door. The cashier promptly called the police and told them not only the name of the robber, but where he lived. And they arrested him two hours later, not the brightest bulb. But of course, some criminals are smarter than others, definitely. Some make a living out of it. Jesus hung on the cross between two thieves. Can you imagine? Our Lord and Savior Christ on high, the reflection of perfect humanity and perfect divinity. He hangs between two thieves. Luke doesn't tell us their crimes, just that they were criminals. They'd gotten caught. Their imperfection was bared for all to see. That's the thing we fear the most, isn't it? And one of them joins into the mob in the mob mentality, mocking Jesus like everyone else, even at the end of his life. He doesn't like losers. Save yourself. Aren't you the Messiah, the Christ? Come on. Save yourself and us with you. Not just an insult from this guy and the crowd of mocking deriders. There's anger and hurt behind it. Can you, can you sense it? It's how we all feel with Christ and with God sometimes. Why can't you solve my problems and the world's problems? We've got enough of them. Why do you let them happen in the first place? Come on. But the other thief somehow has a little better grasp of what's going on here in this amazingly dramatic scene. He, he kind of rebukes his partner, his other thief. Don't you fear God? Aren't you aware of what you have done? Because you're under the same sentence as this guy. And you and I, actually justly, we're being punished for what we did, what, what our deeds deserve. But this guy has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and says, Master, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. What a remarkable statement of faith. Most of us never really acknowledge that we've done wrong unless circumstances force us to. It's just too painful to admit who we really are. We're too naked in that moment, right? Too dependent on the kindness of strangers. We don't even like being dependent on the kindness of friends if we can help it. This thief admits he's done wrong. We are being punished justly, he tells the other one. And then guilty as sin, this thief today says to Jesus, remember me, just me, that's all I've got. How could he even know that Jesus had a kingdom to go to in that moment? 
Had this thief heard Jesus preach before? Or had he been there when Jesus performed some miracle? Was it the Holy Spirit working in his heart? We don't know. We can only guess. There's a famous sermon by a famous preacher. The guy's name was Dr. Dennis Kinlaw. And the sermon he preached was called Malchus's Ear. How many of you remember who Malchus is? Yeah, he's the kind of like Vincent van Gogh, but earlier, right? He, his ear was cut off there in the garden as the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. It's in John's gospel. Only John tells this story. And then in John's gospel, Jesus sort of is amazingly powerful, and he heals, he heals Malchus's um, ear. And this famous sermon is an entire sermon preached about someone's ear. Uh, and what's interesting about this is that Malchus was the servant of the high priest Caiaphas. It was Caiaphas who had headed up the investigation into Jesus, which resulted in the gathering of fake evidence, the false witnesses, and then the arrest and trial, and finally the verdict of death, which brought Jesus to be hanging on the cross in the first place. And here's the clincher. Kinlaw, in his sermon, said that God had placed Malchus's ear, a Malchus's ear, in everyone's life to remind them of how much they are loved by God and how powerful and loving God really is. God placed something, we don't know what it was, in the life of this thief hanging there on the cross to make him responsive to the reign of Christ. And he ends up being the first person but not the last person who would be admitted into paradise, this presence of God, um, not because they were good people or in any, in any way in the category of people who deserve to be loved or believe enough, but simply because Christ's death has made them lovable, completely loved and accepted and welcome and precious. We all have to be at the moment of our baptism like Donna, like a child. We all have to be like that thief. That's all we bring, just as we are without one plea, as the song goes. In the film Godfather Part Two, Al Pacino, Don Corleone, goes to Rome to negotiate a business deal with the Vatican, and he's not interested just in business. At this point in the trilogy of the Godfather movies, Al Pacino, Don Corleone, wants to gain respectability in there. In Rome, he meets with Cardinal Lamberto, who asks if he would like to make his confession. At first, Corleone refuses, makes a little joke about how it was going to take too long to confess everything, but he senses something redemptive in the Cardinal's presence, and he begins his confession. He speaks about his marital infidelities. He admits ordering the murder of his own brother, Fredo. Finally overwhelmed by the burden of his guilt, Corleone breaks down and he starts to sob. And in that moment, Cardinal Lamberto pronounces the words of absolution. And then he says, in an extra kind of little sentence to Corleone, he goes, I know you don't believe this, but you've just been redeemed. And that's all it took. That's all it ever takes to think of ourselves as worthy of being loved completely and fully anyway because of who we really are. That's a hard thing to do, to be a thief like that. But that's what it takes. Amen.